0: Chapter Eighteen, Part Five of *Democracy in America*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *Democracy in America* by Alexis de Tocqueville, translated by Henry Reeve. Section Thirty-Seven, Chapter Eighteen: Future Condition of Three Races, Part Five. In the north, as I have already remarked, a twofold migration ensues upon the abolition of slavery, or even precedes that event when circumstances have rendered it probable. The slaves quit the country to be transported southwards, and the whites of the northern states, as well as the emigrants from Europe, hasten to fill up their places. But these two causes cannot operate in the same manner in the southern states on the one hand the mass of slaves is too great for any expectation of their ever being removed from the country to be entertained and on the other hand the europeans and anglo-americans of the north are afraid to come to inhabit a country in which labor has not yet been reinstated in its rightful honors besides they very justly look upon the south in which the proportion of the negroes equals or exceeds that of the whites as exposed to very great dangers and they refrain from turning their activity in that direction. Thus the inhabitants of the South would not be able, like their northern countrymen, to initiate the slaves gradually into a state of freedom by abolishing slavery. They have no means of perceptibly diminishing the black population, and they would remain unsupported to repress its excesses. So that in the course of a few years a great people of free Negroes would exist in the heart of a white nation of equal size." The same abuses of power which still maintain slavery would then become the source of the most alarming perils which the white population of the South might have to apprehend. At the present time the descendants of the Europeans are the sole owners of the land, the absolute masters of all labor, and the only persons who are possessed of wealth, knowledge, and arms. The black is destitute of all these advantages, but he subsists without them because he is a slave if he were free and obliged to provide for his own subsistence, would it be possible for him to remain without these things and to support life? Or would not the very instruments of the present superiority of the white, whilst slavery exists, expose him to a thousand dangers if it were abolished? As long as the negro remains a slave he may be kept in a condition not very far removed from that of the brutes. But with his liberty he cannot but acquire a degree of instruction which will enable him to appreciate his misfortunes and to discern a remedy for them moreover there exists a singular principle of relative justice which is very firmly implanted in the human heart men are much more forcibly struck by those inequalities which exist within the circles of the same class than with those which may be remarked between different classes it is more easy for them to admit slavery than to allow several millions of citizens to exist under a load of eternal infamy and hereditary wretchedness. In the north the population of freed negroes feels these hardships and resents these indignities, but its numbers and its powers are small, whilst in the south it would be numerous and strong. As soon as it is admitted that the whites and the emancipated blacks are placed upon the same territory in the situation of two alien communities, it will be readily understood that there are but two alternatives for the future. The negroes and the whites must either wholly part or wholly mingle. I have already expressed the conviction which I entertain as to the latter event. I do not imagine that the white and black races will ever live in any country upon an equal footing. But I believe the difficulty to be still greater in the United States than elsewhere. An isolated individual may surmount the prejudices of religion, of his country, or of his race and if this individual is a king he may effect surprising changes in society but a whole people cannot rise as it were above itself a despot who should subject the americans and their former slaves to the same yoke might perhaps succeed in commingling their races but as long as the american democracy remains at the head of affairs no one will undertake so difficult a task and it may be foreseen that the freer the white population of the united states becomes the more isolated it will remain. I have previously observed that the mixed race is the true bond of union between the Europeans and the Indians. Just so the mulattoes are the true means of transition between the white and the negro, so that wherever mulattoes abound the intermixture of the two races is not impossible. In some parts of America the European and the negro races are so crossed by one another that it is rare to meet with a man who is entirely black or entirely white when they are arrived at this point the two races may really be said to be combined or rather to have been absorbed in a third race which is connected with both without being identical with either of all the europeans the english are those who have mixed least with the negroes more mulattoes are to be seen in the south of the union than in the north but still they are indefinitely more scarce than in any other european colony Mulattoes are by no means numerous in the United States they have no force peculiar to themselves and when quarrels originating in differences of color take place they generally side with the whites just as the lackeys of the great in europe assume the contemptuous airs of nobility to the lower orders the pride of origin which is natural to the English is singularly augmented by the personal pride which democratic liberty fosters amongst the americans The white citizen of the United States is proud of his race, and proud of himself. But if the whites and the negroes do not intermingle in the north of the Union, how should they mix in the south? Can it be supposed for an instant that an American of the southern states, placed as he must forever be between the white man with all his physical and moral superiority, and the negro will ever think of preferring the latter? The Americans of the southern states have two powerful passions which will always keep them aloof the first is the fear of being assimilated to the negroes, their former slaves, and the second the dread of sinking below the whites, their neighbors. If I were called upon to predict what will probably occur at some future time, I should say that the abolition of slavery in the South will, in the common course of things, increase the repugnance of the white population for the men of color. I found this opinion upon the analogous observation, which I already had occasion to make in the North." I there remarked that the white inhabitants of the North avoid the Negroes with increasing care, in proportion as the legal barriers of separation are removed by the legislature. And why should not the same result take place in the South? In the North the whites are deterred from intermingling with the blacks by the fear of an imaginary danger. In the South, where the danger would be real, I cannot imagine that the fear would be less general if on the other hand it be admitted and the fact is unquestionable that the colored population perpetually accumulates in the extreme south and that it increases more rapidly than that of the whites and if on the other hand it be allowed that it is impossible to foresee a time at which the whites and the blacks will be so intermingled as to derive the same benefits from society must it not be inferred that the blacks and the whites will sooner or later come to open strife in the southern states of the union. But if it be asked what the issue of the struggle is likely to be, it will readily be understood that we are here left to form a very vague surmise of the truth. The human mind may succeed in tracing a wide circle, as it were, which includes the course of future events, but within that circle a thousand various chances and circumstances may direct it, in as many different ways. And in every picture of the future there is a dim spot, which the eye of the understanding cannot penetrate. It appears, however, to be extremely probable that in the West Indian islands the white race is destined to be subdued, and the black population to share the same fate upon the continent. In the West India islands the white planters are surrounded by an immense black population. On the continent the blacks are placed between the ocean and an innumerable people, which already extends over them in a dense mass from the icy confines of canada to the frontiers of virginia and from the banks of the missouri to the shores of the atlantic if the white citizens of north america remain united it cannot be supposed that the negroes will escape the destruction with which they are menaced they must be subdued by want or by the sword but the black population which is accumulated along the coast of the gulf of mexico has a chance of success if the American Union is dissolved when the struggle between the two races begins. If the federal tie were broken, the citizens of the South would be wrong to rely upon any lasting succor from their northern countrymen. The latter are well aware that the danger can never reach them, and unless they are constrained to march to the assistance of the South by a positive obligation, it may be foreseen that the sympathy of color will be insufficient to stimulate their exertions. Yet at whatever period the strife may break out, the whites of the south, even if they are abandoned to their own resources, will enter the lists with an immense superiority of knowledge and of the means of warfare. But the blacks will have numerical strength and the energy of despair upon their side, and these are powerful resources to men who have taken up arms. The fate of the white population of the southern states will, perhaps, be similar to that of the Moors in Spain after having occupied the land for centuries it will perhaps be forced to retire to the country whence its ancestors came and to abandon the negroes to the possession of a territory which providence seems to have more peculiarly destined for them since they can subsist and labor in it more easily than the whites the danger of a conflict between the white and the black inhabitants of the southern states of the union a danger which, however remote it may be, is inevitable, perpetually haunts the imagination of the Americas. The inhabitants of the North make it a common topic of conversation, though they have no direct injury to fear from the struggle, but they vainly endeavor to devise some means of obviating the misfortunes which they foresee. In the southern states the subject is not discussed, the planter does not allude to the future in conversing with strangers, The citizen does not communicate his apprehensions to his friends. He seeks to conceal them from himself. But there is something more alarming in the tacit forebodings of the South than in the clamorous fears of the Northern States. This all-pervading disquietude has given birth to an undertaking which is but little known, but which may have the effect of changing the fate of a portion of the human race. From apprehension of the dangers which I have just been describing, a certain number of american citizens have formed a society for the purpose of exporting to the coast of guinea at their own expense such free negroes as may be willing to escape from the oppression to which they are subject in eighteen twenty the society to which i allude formed a settlement in africa upon the seventh degree of north latitude which bears the name of liberia the most recent intelligence informs us that twenty five hundred negroes are collected there They have introduced the democratic institutions of America into the country of their forefathers, and Liberia has a representative system of government, Negro jurymen, Negro magistrates, and Negro priests. Churches have been built, newspapers established, and, by a singular change in the vicissitudes of the world, white men are prohibited from sojourning within the settlement. This is indeed a strange caprice of fortune. Two hundred years have now elapsed since the inhabitants of Europe undertook to tear the Negro from his family and his home, in order to transport him to the shores of North America. At the present day the European settlers are engaged in sending back the descendants of those very Negroes to the continent from which they were originally taken, and the barbarous Africans have been brought into contact with civilization in the midst of bondage, and have become acquainted with free political institutions in slavery. Up to the present time Africa has been closed against the arts and sciences of the Whites, but the inventions of Europe will perhaps penetrate into those regions, now that they are introduced by Africans themselves. The settlement of Liberia is founded upon a lofty and a most fruitful idea, but whatever may be its results with regard to the continent of Africa, it can afford no remedy to the new world. In twelve years the colonization society has transported 2,500 Negroes to Africa. In the same space of time about 700,000 blacks were born in the United States. If the colony of Liberia were so situated as to be able to receive thousands of new inhabitants every year, and if the Negroes were in a state to be sent thither with advantage, if the Union were to supply the society with annual subsidies, and to transport the negroes to africa in the vessels of the state it would still be unable to counterpoise the natural increase of population amongst the blacks and as it could not remove as many men in a year as are born upon its territory within the same space of time it would fail in suspending the growth of the evil which is daily increasing in the united states the negro race will never leave those shores of the american continent to which it was brought by the passions and the vices of the europeans and it will not disappear from the new world as long as it continues to exist. The inhabitants of the United States may retard the calamities which they apprehend, but they cannot now destroy their efficient cause. I am obliged to confess that I do not regard the abolition of slavery as a means of warding off the struggle of the two races in the United States. The Negroes may long remain slaves without complaining, But if they are once raised to the level of free men, they will soon revolt at being deprived of all their civil rights, and as they cannot become the equals of the whites, they will speedily declare themselves as enemies. In the North everything contributed to facilitate the emancipation of the slaves, and slavery was abolished, without placing the free negroes in a position which could become formidable, since their number was too small for them ever to claim the exercise of their rights. But such is not the case in the South. The question of slavery was a question of commerce and manufacture for the slave-owners in the North. For those of the South it is a question of life and death. God forbid that I should seek to justify the principle of Negro slavery, as has been done by some American writers, but I only observe that all the countries which formerly adopted that execrable principle are not equally able to abandon it at the present time when i contemplate the condition of the south i can only discover two alternatives which may be adopted by the white inhabitants of these states viz either to emancipate the negroes and to intermingle with them or remaining isolated from them to keep them in a state of slavery as long as possible all intermediate measures seem to me likely to terminate and that shortly in the most horrible of civil wars and perhaps in the extirpation of one or other of the two races such is the view which the americans of the south take of the question and they act consistently with it as they are determined not to mingle with the negroes they refuse to emancipate them not that the inhabitants of the south regard slavery as necessary to the wealth of the planter for on this point many of them agree with their northern countrymen in freely admitting that slavery is prejudicial to their interest but they are convinced that however prejudicial it may be they hold their lives upon no other tenure. The instruction which is now diffused in the South has convinced the inhabitants that slavery is injurious to the slave-owner, but it has also shown them, more clearly than before, that no means exist of getting rid of its bad consequences. Hence arises a singular contrast. The more the utility of slavery is contested, the more firmly is it established in the laws." and whilst the principle of servitude is gradually abolished in the North, that self-same principle gives rise to more and more rigorous consequences in the South. The legislation of the southern states with regard to slaves presents at the present day such unparalleled atrocities as to suffice to show how radically the laws of humanity have been perverted, and to betray the desperate position of the community in which that legislation has been promulgated. The Americans of this portion of the Union have not, indeed, augmented the hardships of slavery. They have, on the contrary, bettered the physical condition of the slaves. The only means by which the ancients maintained slavery were fetters and death. The Americans of the south of the Union have discovered more intellectual securities for the duration of their power. They have employed their despotism and their violence against the human mind. In antiquity precautions were taken to prevent the slaves from breaking his chains. At the present day measures are adopted to deprive him even of the desire of freedom. The ancients kept the bodies of their slaves in bondage, but they placed no restraint upon the mind, and no check upon education, and they acted consistently with their established principle, since a natural termination of slavery then existed, and one day or other the slave might be set free, and become the equal of his master. But the Americans of the South, who do not admit that the negroes can ever be commingled with themselves, have forbidden them to be taught to read or write, under severe penalties, and as they will not raise them to their own level, they sink them as nearly as possible to that of the brutes. The hope of liberty had always been allowed to the slave to cheer the hardships of his condition. But the Americans of the South are well aware that emancipation cannot but be dangerous when the freed man can never be assimilated to his former master. To give a man his freedom, and to leave him in wretchedness and ignominy, is nothing less than to prepare a future chief for a revolt of the slaves. Moreover, it has long been remarked that the presence of a free negro vaguely agitates the minds of his less fortunate brethren, and conveys to them a dim notion of their rights. The Americans of the South have consequently taken measures to prevent slave-owners from emancipating their slaves in most cases, not, indeed, by a positive prohibition, but by subjecting that step to various forms which it is difficult to comply with. I happened to meet with an old man in the South of the Union who had lived in illicit intercourse with one of his negresses, and had had several children by her, who were born the slaves of their father. He had, indeed, frequently thought of bequeathing to them at least their liberty, but years had elapsed without his being able to surmount the legal obstacles to their emancipation, and in the meanwhile his old age was come, and he was about to die. He pictured to himself his sons dragged from market to market, and passing from the authority of a parent to the rod of the stranger, until these horrid anticipations worked his expiring imagination into frenzy. When I saw him, he was a prey to all the anguish of despair, and he made me feel how awful is the retribution of nature upon those who have broken her laws. These evils are unquestionably great, but they are the necessary and foreseen consequences of the very principle of modern slavery. When the Europeans chose their slaves from a race differing from their own, which many of them considered as inferior to the other races of mankind, and which they all repelled with horror from any notion of intimate connection, they must have believed that slavery would last forever, since there is no intermediate state which can be durable between the excessive inequality produced by servitude and the complete equality which originates in independence. The Europeans did imperfectly feel this truth, but without acknowledging it even to themselves. Whenever they have had to do with Negroes, their conduct has either been dictated by their interest and pride, or by their compassion. They first violated every right of humanity by their treatment of the Negro, and they afterwards informed him that those rights were precious and inviolable. They affected to open their ranks to the slaves, but the Negroes who attempted to penetrate into the community were driven back with scorn, and they have incautiously and involuntarily been led to admit of freedom instead of slavery without having the courage to be wholly iniquitous or wholly just. If it be impossible to anticipate a period at which the Americans of the South will mingle their blood with that of the negroes, can they allow their slaves to become free without compromising their own security? And if they are obliged to keep that race in bondage in order to save their own families, may they not be excused for availing themselves of the means best adapted to that end? The events which are taking place in the southern states of the Union appear to me to be at once the most horrible and the most natural results of slavery. When I see the order of nature overthrown, and when I hear the cry of humanity in its veins struggle against the laws, my indignation does not light upon the men of our own time, who are the instruments of these outrages, but I reserve my execration for those who, after a thousand years of freedom, brought back slavery into the world once more." Whatever may be the efforts of the Americans of the South to maintain slavery, they will not always succeed. Slavery, which is now confined to a single tract of the civilized earth, which is attacked by Christianity as unjust, and by political economy as prejudicial, and which is now contrasted with democratic liberties and the information of our age, cannot survive. By the choice of the master, or by the will of the slave, it will cease. And in either case, great calamities may be expected to ensue if liberty be refused to the negroes of the south, they will, in the end, seize it for themselves by force. If it be given, they will abuse it ere long end of section thirty seven